So um, the title of this lesson is Self-Discipline and God's Blessings. God's Blessings. You know, the greatest thing that God promised is salvation. That's, that's a promise. But he is a kind God, and he does, if you Google the word or, or do a concordance search like rewards, it, it, it does say that. And, 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 the, and why you can't, that heart wouldn't be correct if you're just coming and going, God, what can you give me? Right? But when you get that heart right and you're moved by the greatest gift you can have, which is salvation, you're moved to now go, God, lead me and let me serve you. And let me do your, and, and the fact that he wants to work with you to help others, that's, that's almost, that's humbling but shocking, right? But it's so rewarding. But then he also blesses us with our endeavors and the things we like to do. And, 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 and if you really are walking with God, why wouldn't he bless you? But you notice how I said self-discipline and God's blessings. Because you need to not be deceived, my brothers, if, because God's discipline is going to help us until we can get self-discipline. And I realize it's very powerful how God uses discipline as well, saying he loves us. Right? So let's look in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a, someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize, and even in that prize, the word prize indicates a, 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 a blessing, right? The words discipline and disciple are derived in the Latin, so it's not surprising when you become a disciple of Jesus, you should expect to exercise self-discipline in all matters. Discipline, disciple, student of, Student of Jesus. Well, Jesus would call you to be self-controlled and alert. Jesus says to deny yourself. So if you think about that, the root of discipline and disciple are both derived from the Latin. So to be a disciple of Christ, we have decided to exercise self-discipline in all matters, correct? Self-discipline is not simply a proven way just to get ahead. But by the way, if if someone's an atheist and they're striving to be self-disciplined in their life, they will do better as a human being and work and whatnot. So it's even a quality that blesses human endeavors. But we don't do it just for that, right? It's, a, it's, it's, it's an integral part of God's plan for our life. We're saved, yet he says, still be a fo follow me. Go make disciples. Live for me. We're already saved. That's why you're so grateful. That's why he says no condemnation in those of us who are in Christ. Grace teaches us to say no. That takes discipline. You're motivated by Christ's love. As you're walking for the Lord coming tonight, you were motivated to come here if you're in God's word and in God's will. 
because he says part of the plan for you to grow together in him is to grow in your love and stay tight as brothers so we can encourage one another but also stay as what Jerry said the light of the world because yes it's we are the light of the world but God said we need each other and Jesus even called disciples there was never loner disciples they were always together even though they each had a relationship with God there was togetherness most of the greatest rewards in life come as a result of hard work and perseverance would you guys agree in life Nothing, it's just a design, it's the universal way of the human being. We've been designed by DNA to work hard in life. Things just don't, and if things do come in, in, in your hands at them, it's even proven that you won't understand the lesson of how grateful you could be. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong to go thank you if someone, you know, connection or whatnot, but the heart of understanding the gratitude of what work produces and what decisions you make to do things, there's a reward behind that as well, even though there may be, uh, you know, material blessings, whatnot, but we don't do it for that. But there, it's a fact, right? So point number one, I want to talk about humility, and I would just call it humble to death. Humble to death. You know, humility, we'd all agree, is, is an important quality in Christ. We all agree pride is deadly. I think pride is in, in uh, it's so amazing, the, the, clo- the longer you walk with God, Hopefully, the more convicted you are to be aware of how subtle pride can slip in there at times, right? And let's look at Philippians 2, verse 5. See, self-discipline and the blessings of God is what Jesus is saying in this humble to death. Well, because Jesus said that's what he's doing. Linda says here, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And it says exclamation mark because that's shocking. That's the ultimate. I mean, come on. We're all moved by any demonstration of someone putting their life on the line. Humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That is the name of Jesus At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I don't know about you guys, but I'm humbled by reading that conviction that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. I don't know. Does that humble you? That humbles me and challenges me. It's not like God's saying step out and prove it. But we do say Jesus is Lord. And I think it's a growing process. God, I love how uh, in Timothy, when, Paul's, when Paul is uh, telling Timothy, actually, in, I think it's uh, 1 Timothy 4, preach the word, in season and out of season. And he says, correct, rebuke. And then he says, with great patience and careful instruction. And I always look at great patience, kind of like grace of God. Because if you had great patience but, no, but weren't open to any careful instruction from God's word or, or a brother of the disciples, helps you. 
then you would just be a person that's coddled but not change. But if you just continued to always give careful instruction and that's all you gave without patience, you'd almost go, oh, here he comes again. He's just going to probably correct me again. Right? So one without the other doesn't really, it's not effective. But the grace of God has love. If you have great patience, you believe in somebody. Otherwise, you're not going to be patient. Get over it. You're not, you, you can't do it. I'm going to get somebody else. You know what I mean? But to have great patience and still give careful instruction, it says, I believe in you, I believe in you, I believe in you, and you're not on my timetable. But that's what God says, right? So humble to death means one, the closer you get to God and realize that the blessings that come on this earth, God says they can be blessings, and Satan's trying to skew them to be an idol or a snag. Meaning it starts to distract you of really understanding you're free. You're so free if you can have that mindset that, God, thank you for everything. You know I need food, clothing, and shelter. And if I'm married and I have children, I need the wisdom. And I, you know I have these concerns and blah, 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 right? But when you free yourself of not being afraid to die, even though we know we're going to die, and I'm not saying to fix on this, I just... I could still meditate on this. I've been doing this for 28 years. I'm still like, I'm humbled by it. Let's read it again in verse 8. And being found in the appearance of a man, so there he just qualifies all of us. He became human in every way. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And because of that, God exalted him. He says, therefore, because of that, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Wow, that was self-discipline. He denied himself. We know in the Gethsemane when he prayed, we can really use that example because it wasn't just like he was a robot programmed, like, like coming to planet Earth like that Terminator with a chip. Just nothing could stop him. He's just bit. No, Jesus was allowed to have decisions and decide to follow and honor God and pray and be open and wrestle and ask for strength to continue to do God's will. Isn't that powerful? So he humbled himself to a point of even death. You know, there's a scripture, and I'm not going to go there, but there, it says, we talked about it in our staff meeting, Joseph of Arimathea was with um, Nicodemus when they went to ask Pilate for the body of Jesus. And it says that, in that verse, it says, and Joseph of Arimathea had become a secret disciple, a disciple secretly, no one knew, because of his fear of the Jews. So he was a disciple, but no one knew. And it, the Bible doesn't condone that, but you think about by showing up actually and asking Pilate for the body shows he already grew. Because that takes guts. They were trying to squell the thing, and, and, and you, you're going there, and they wanted to kill him, and they wanted him down. So we already know, even though he had become a disciple secretly, that wouldn't be good if you were a secret disciple the whole walk and never let anybody know, never shared your faith. We're just, you know... But God is patient, and it even showed that he had to get to a point where he could actually get to that boldness. That's pretty powerful. And then we talked about even taking down the body of Jesus, a, a lifeless dead body. That'd be kind of, if you're not used to handling dead bodies, it would be very, very unusual situation. You know, because when someone dies, they have the coroner's office and come there. They're used to it. It's like secondhand. But for us, if we had to move a dead body... That'd be very, you'd be like, that's just reverent, like, whoa, it's a dead body. So think about them letting Jesus down limp and dead. At that time, he was just dead. All they had to hold on to was what? What he said. But he's dead now. 
And see, we have the luxury of reading the Bible and know he raised from the third day and see, see what it says. But he had told them and preached that I, this is what I must do. I must die and on the third day raise. So he reentered that, but, it, but still, not to have the ending like we do. And he's lifeless, limp, a dead body. And they actually buried him with 70 pounds of myrrh and alloy and got the body prepared in the tomb. That's intense. But I think humbling yourself by becoming even obedient to death is you grow in that situation where think about how free you are when you don't, when you're not afraid to die. You're free. But it's not trying to be a macho person. It's just really getting closer to God. So how do we do that? Well, it says in your relationships with one another, verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the mindset of Jesus. Do you notice how it has such an important implication about fellowship? In your relationships with one another. Of course, God is first, but this is an interesting thing. In your relationships with one another, have the mindset as Christ Jesus. That's incredible. So it shows that we're exercising our faith and growing as we have our relationships with one another, all striving to think like, what would Jesus do? Pretty cool. Pretty good training. No, point number two, surround yourself with the faithful. And of course, we need to share our faith, and we're in the world, and we want to reach out. And God says, guys, be fishers of men. I want to use you to, 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 we don't know who's open or not, but we just need to do our part. But we still need to surround ourselves with the faithful. Look in Hebrews 12, verse 1. You guys with me? I always think about carrying the life of Jesus down to the cross. And so when I start going, but just, you know, even knowing I'd have to go, he said he's going to raise, but I'm looking at him. He's, this is nothing in the body right now because he wasn't there. Remember, his spirit went. But you're holding this body that you walked with. So, you, you know, it doesn't make any allusions to what Jesus looked like. He said he was just kind of an ordinary human being. There was nothing stunning in his appearance. But still, they would have known him like, we, like I know Chaz. They would have known him in the tent that he was walking in and just dead. And he's saying, he, and all you have to go on is he raised from the dead. Is he going to come back? And we're carrying this lifeless body. That's why we meet together. Because we have to believe and continue. And God says he'll work together in our relationships with one another having the mindset of Christ, God works in us to help each other grow in faith by seeing other like-minded people. That's the plan. In, in Hebrews 12, 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, consider him in your mindset with one another, right? In your relationship with one another, have the mindset of Christ. So we help each other. He says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. There it is iterating. He's saying you haven't had to go all the way obedient to death yet. See, 
what is it telling us? The life of a disciple involves focus and training. You cannot read scripture without seeing that weaved in self-discipline with trusting and depending on God to grow and be willing to resist sin, all relying on God. But that's what gives you that mindset in your relationship with each other. If you don't have that mindset in Christ Jesus, which would be faith, the author and perfecter that helps your mindset to get the conviction to go, I'm not going to do this because it's not good for me. Or it's like you learn to grow in the race marked out for you. And why we all are on the path of following Jesus, it says the race marked out for you. Meaning every single person wasn't together all day. They all, you all had different experiences and, and with different people in different situations. And your life, it's your life, your race marked out, your obstacles, your challenges. But we all come together consistently in our relationships with one another. We have the mindset of Christ so we can help each other do what God called us to do, what he did, Jesus did. Does that make sense? It involves focus and training. I like that. I got sick. Man, one of the things I loved about becoming a disciple is I just was getting bored. And don't get me wrong, I was stuck in my sin, but I go, is this it? I was 31, and I was like, I can do anything I want, anytime I want, because that's the way you really are, right? Before you make Jesus Lord, who's your authority? Really no one when you're, when you're out of your house, right? Once you get to be a man, no one, you can do whatever you want, and it might be stupid, you know, and, and if you do something in the laws where the police or the authorities come in, but you can really do anything you want. Just right now, we can do anything we want. We have that beautiful freedom of choice. But doing that was just miserable. I was like looking at my watch going, man, how long, let's see, I'm, like in my, I'm 31, what if I live to be like 80 or something? That's 50 more years, what am I going to, I'm getting, it's meaningless. And then in my sins and my, 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 my craziness, I was just getting worn out. So grateful to when I started to follow Jesus and know I need and to, and to be clear of my sins and really change my life. I'm grateful he gave me a focus and training. I am so much, I could not be married or even be half or a quarter of who I am without the life of a disciple, learning to be self-disciplined at the mindset of Jesus, growing and never, never arriving which keeps me interested, but I know it's for my own good. Hope you feel like that, brothers. It requires us to give up whatever hinders and endangers our relationship with God. That's what he's saying. You, you notice where it says in verse 1, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin. So this is the wisdom of God on self-discipline. The things that hinder aren't in and of themselves necessarily sin at the moment. But he's saying the deeper wisdom of self, it's not legalism. It's like you're walking with God, but now you're realizing in your life, your race marked out. Someone else may not stumble or struggle, but what it is for you, you realize it's not helping you. It's hindering your faith and your relationship with God. So you make your own decisions eventually as a man of God and go, I'm done with this. Because I'm being hindered. It's not helping me. See what I'm saying? And if anything starts to hinder you, it's going to wear you down. It's going to eat at your faith. It's going to ebb at you. you the, the good fight won't be good anymore. It'll start to be, I'm here. I'm, I'm here. 
but in your mind it's really become a tiring fight. And see, it's, it should be always a fight, but it's a good fight. If it's not a good fight, it's not worth fighting. And Satan wants to get you out. And it's never not a good fight, but we have to keep our mindset to understand. And that's why I think God blesses us in our walk with God. Because it can't just be head down. Uh, and think about it. You know. I mean, we've all, the blessings of God having a roof over our head and, and friendships and all that. We have to have that encouragement to know it is, the life is awesome. So. But to continue to run with stamina and commitment, you have to be relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, the theme of our movement this year is led by the Spirit. And that's, that's just, you know, each year, but that's what we need to do when, since we've been baptized. Stay in step with the Spirit, right? Learning to walk with God. And it's, we will stumble if we look away from him and worry about ourselves or look at the challenges or the giant oppositions that seem giant at the time in our lives which is going to come the trials you have to fix your eyes on Jesus that's why it says fix your eyes on Jesus but what do we do when really something tragic happens we don't even know subconsciously we can subtly look at the problem or the issue even subconsciously going God help me but we're looking at the problem instead of you have to really think about mindset you have to really focus and go okay I'm gonna this is a problem and it's not like you're ignoring it but you got to go back and he says fix your eyes on me the author and what? Perfector of faith. I'm, that's why this problem's here. I've either allowed it or caused it or you've caused it by your sinful decision. But fix your eyes on me because you're going to want to look at the problem. You look at the problem, you're going to get beat down. And even though you go, I believe in God, I'm doing, you're not. You're looking at your mindset's off. You know what boxers, when they're fighting, why do you think they have managers? I know they need to rest, the trainer, in between rounds, you know, a three-minute round. You know, just in case, if you ever, if you just tried to run in place for three minutes, we most of us would be so winded. <laughs> but they're swinging and giving everything they got, and it's the most tiring. You have to be like beat. That's why Paul says, "Beat your body." I beat my body like a boxer, and make it my slave. He's just like I train spiritually as serious as I would if I was going to really compete and try to be the champion. That's because they decide to be disciplined, and that's the battle. But if you look at that, the boxer in between has to give direction and help the guy sometimes. He's, it, when he's in the fight, a lot of times the trainer will say, listen, he's killing you. Don't let him get you against the ropes. Guard your thing. Or he's looking at the weakness of the other person. Listen, start using your jab more. He's open. Use your jab. Don't let him corner you. Start doing the body shots we talked about. You know what I mean? He's got to remind them. They've already trained, but he got stuck. He got weary. He got his eyes fixed off what he was trained to do. And then he gets back out there, and just with a little bit of a correction, he starts taking it over again. That's what we need to do. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. And what did Jesus say? And what did Philippians? In Philippians, what did Paul preach to the Spirit? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. We need to help each other. That's what discipling is. We help each other between rounds of our life to realize, hey, get your eyes back on Jesus. You can overcome this. See how it all works together. It's God's plan. And then... I love in verse 1, and, and, and that's why I said surround yourself with the faithful. Well, it's always, it's always great to go into the scriptures and realize in verse 1 of Hebrews, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and that's referring to Hebrews 11, and you should really look at that at times. It's, it names real-life brothers and sisters that died, that actually were obedient to death, not just Jesus. They died for their faith. 
And some of it was horrendous. And sometimes we look at that and we go, oh, because it is horrendous. Now realize God's not going to give him a handle. But if that was called upon by you, don't worry and get all hypothetical. If you're really fixing your eyes on Jesus and it's God's will, it, in the time, he'll let you have strength on whatever comes your way. And hopefully you've already seen that. Whatever's come your way, you may have needed grace and maybe you blew it at first, but you've got back up and you're here today faithful. So it isn't something that took you out. You may have learned from your mistakes or repented of sin, but you're still here. So nothing is too hard for God, and he's not going to put you in a position that you can't handle if you're willing to hold to your conviction that Jesus is Lord, like you said. Does that make sense? So, you know, great cloud of witnesses. We need the faithfulness, their, the faithfulness of these people and what we read and what we need to have today. We need to have real-life faithful witnesses. And that's why we have churches, because we need to see each other and be inspired by each other and encourage each other. Because a long and long distance runners work hard to build endurance and strength. And I'm not a long distance runner, but I know that by you. We all know that we'd agree. But whatever you're doing, if you're trying to improve yourself, you do need to build endurance and strength. Whatever you're doing, mentally, spiritually, physically, if you're trying to improve yourself, it takes focus. Maybe your brain can't concentrate, but if you really work at something, you'll concentrate a little longer. You will, you will be self-disciplined. You will, you will improve if it's important. So on race day, these long-distance runners, their clothes are lightweight and their bodies are lean. You've never seen a real heavy long-distance runner in, like, the Olympics because it doesn't make sense. They would, they would just tie them down. But the training, they get there. And to run the race that God has set before us, we must what? Throw off everything that hinders us, which means in the runners, strip off all the excess weight that slows us down. How can we do that? Choose friends who are committed to the race. Your best and closest friends, and this is not a comparison. If you're wise, I realize I am going to offer my friendship and kindness to anyone, even if they're not right with God. And I would even welcome and am grateful if they want to know why I have the hope and believe, right? That's, we love that. It's incredible to participate helping someone else know the truth. But my closest friends and my people that, I, that I'm most inspired by, I got to have around, are people that are committed to the same race. Jesus is Lord. Finish the race, like Paul said. I beat my body and make it my slave. It's not just a one-time deal. It's not like I got baptized this year, I did great. No, it's decades, one day at a time. I and God says we need close friends that are committed in the race. Non-Christian friends will not have values and they will not be involved in activities that are going to help you spiritually. They won't. A non-Christian, you know, we could say he's a good person. He's a good guy. He's a good girl. Good gal. Well, you know what we mean by that. They're saying they're, they're, they have attributes of a, of, 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 of a humankind person. But God says there's only saved or lost. So a good guy ain't going to help you get to spiritually heaven. If you know that person isn't a disciple, then you may be in their life, and that's why you're there. But you're hoping that God will give you opportunities to help that person if you've drawn them out. You know, we don't know, obviously, who's... Uh, right or not but if you get into a friendship and get a time you can kind of evaluate and see that maybe they don't understand or whatnot and you can help the the other thing I think we need to do with this is you drop 
certain activities, not because you have to, not because someone tells you to, not because uh, there's a legalism. You have to learn this yourself. You will learn to throw off everything, not something that hinders you. So if you're not able to be a faithful disciple and stay serving God and be available, then you're too busy. Sometimes I've told people that I've studied with, doctors and people like that, you got to meet them where they're at and talk about their heart, but then I'd say, you're just too busy to be a disciple because they have excuses for everything. You're too busy to be a disciple. I, 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 I believe you can still be a doctor if you have the heart and not go, what am I going to do? Patience. You're looking at too much as like, that's like a legalistic plug-in. No. But if you can't be involved in your relationships with one another, which is brothers and sisters in the church, and have the same mindset, then you can't really live out what that is. And you got to work with people, of course. It's not rules. They have to understand. But as disciples, guys, are you involved in certain endeavors, even in work and business? Do you allow these boundaries to cross? It's not legalistic, but it's not helping you. What is your goal to work? To be rich? If that's a goal, to be rich, you're never going to be happy. You should be happy with what you're making now. It doesn't mean you're not trying to improve yourself. It may not be the job or, the, or a career. And I do think as a person in, in America, we should think, hey, how can God, I figure out a career path or something that I have passion for, where it will get to me to a point where I'll be able to have a paycheck that you kind of research that'll help you not stress as a platform to be a great disciple. You see what I'm saying? Because if you don't put boundaries, the sky's the limit. What if you start cranking and more money, more money, more money? No one's going to tell you what to do. But if you're not able to be a disciple, you can subtly start to be hindered and distracted by something that you weren't at the beginning. That's wisdom, guys. I tell people to never get in debt or live in a position where you owe more money than you can handle and you're stressed. And now you're working because you have this bill to pay. It's like, that's terrible to be in this this, this low-grade stress because you have to, you, you put yourself in decisions that your payments on cars or whatever, you can get whatever you want. But if you decided to get a certain car that, that you're not being wise, that's causing you anxiety to pay the car note, that's unspiritually wise because it's going to stress you out. See what I'm saying? So the wisdom and value is understanding the greatest prize is to be right with God and be in a way where you can be at peace because God says, I'll meet your needs. But see, we have to learn that. God's not going to tell you. No one's going to tell you, don't do that. Because usually you have to learn it. Sometimes you think you can, but if you're not able to follow the blueprint of being the heart of a way of life as a disciple, then you need to ask God, what can you do and what, what, what will benefit you? Is this beneficial? Let's look at uh, the point number three, no pain, no gain. Now, I, that's such an old statement. It's almost, uh, che not cheesy, but what you call it, a, wore out but it but it's true see I couldn't get a better thing no pain no gain how come you move so far bro did we offend you you were over here Sharon so that's why you moved away from me like I have the plague I liked it when Xavier was right here young student of God trying to really grow and learn and stay close on a choke chain so you don't go get in sin how you doing you gotta love Xavier right I really, one of the biggest things I respect is David. The other day we were ch sitting with Chaz and I, and he started opening up and just wanting advice. No one told him he had to get it. And I said, bro, that is, that's the first place of learning to be wisdom. I still get advice. I never not get advice. My, it, it's not that I don't know what to do, but I, I'm, not a, I'm not opposing on what do you think. And my wife, I want to make sure she feels secure. So just because I got it, I got it down, honey. 
But she knows I'm not afraid to talk about things with the Sullivans, uh, you know, Martin and Carmen, who's amazing, that part of the church. And it's not that, uh, it's not that I have talked to older people, but sometimes in you know, my life with older kids and whatnot, you just kind of relate and go, what, what's going on? But, but I love to hear people what they think, but they can't really give you an evaluation if you don't give them your heart. You can ask for advice, and it can even almost not even be a wise thing because you, they don't know you. But if you're giving your heart to people, then you can go, what do you think? They kind of have a little bit of a snapshot, and they're just going to, it may not be, it, it's still you have the right to do, to make a decision, right? It's not, it's not, it's advice, advice is advice, but it's wisdom. No pain, no gain. Look at Hebrews 5, 12, excuse me, 12 verse 5. See, when you face hardships and discouragement, it's not, it, it, is it easy to lose sight of the big picture on any area of your life? Oh, it's easy. If you're starting out something and you get deflated and something unexpected happens, you can almost want to quit. And maybe there might be wisdom in that too. I'm not talking about being a Christian, but I'm talking about sometimes you might not endeavor and sometimes we're too hard-headed, like I'm going to keep doing it, I'm going to keep doing it. And sometimes maybe you go, God, he's telling you that this, this is, you don't have to do this. Maybe this isn't the way that you're supposed to, you, maybe you need to try something else if it's not working. F- financially, you know, to make money, job-wise. And, and, and you're not alone. All of us feel that way at times. We have to fix our eyes and we have to help set. Look in Hebrews 12, 5. And you completely have forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son endure hardship as discipline god is treating you as a as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father and if you're not if you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline then you are not legitimate not true sons and daughters at all moreover we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for this how much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline is pleasant or seems pleasant at the time. And we all go, well, you can say that again. <laughs> this is hurting. No discipline is pleasant at the, at, at the time, but painful. Later on, see, it's later on, so stay in the pain, no pain, no gain, set your mind on Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus, because in the worst part of your challenge, you're going to start to want to drift and look for other ways out, or even look at the problem instead of God praying for the problem and persevering. So it says later on, so you're in pain, it's challenging, it doesn't feel good, and we don't know God's timing, but later on, if you stay in the focus, the race with God, Later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. See, I love this because the Bible says there's, there's, there's a couple of reactions that, we'll, that human nature instinctually will be tempted to do, and we probably have done, myself included. In verse 5, after he says... He says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline or lose heart. There's two ways you can be if you're not really serious or humble to God. You can be flippant about discipling or someone gives you a correction. 
or someone gives you serious advice, say, bro, I wouldn't do that. It's not going to help you spiritually. You're like, all right. You, you can even say, I, I appreciate it, but you're, you're just not, you're already in your mind like whatever. You're just light. You're not going to take it. Or do not lose heart when he rebukes you. So say you're in a challenge. Say you sinned and the consequences have come down and it's, it's painful. And what it means is being humble, not being willing to run like a Judas, be a Jesus, be a Peter, like we talked about on Sunday. But you can make light heart of it. And that means you lose respect for God's discipline through people or situations. Or you can lose heart and go, this is too hard. This isn't fair. God's not there. He's not hurting me. And that, this is understandably real. You can go, oh, because losing heart is losing hope. If you start to lose heart, the, the battle's done. The momentum's done. You, you got, that's why we need coaches. That's why we need trainers. That, when you're talking about beat your body, disciples, that, that's what we are. We need to be coaches, brothers, fathers to each other. Bro, I know it's hurting. I can't say exactly, but, I, I, man, I appreciate you sharing. Come on. You, you, God loves you, right? Yeah. You, we need each other when we're ready to lose heart. But if you don't give your heart and let people know how you're feeling, you'll still feel alone with people. But we can be tempted, can't we? So we can sometimes, if the discipline's coming from God, we can decide to give up. That's not good. That's not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to change the issue either. Or we can accept it with self-pity, thinking we really don't deserve it. It was a mistake. That's not trusting God. So now, you're, now, now in that thought process, that, that mindset is going to start to subconsciously slowly ebb away your faith. And that's what Satan wants to do. You're critical. What about we can be angry and resentful toward God, but we don't say it. We just, we, we, you have to get in touch with your heart. You may not ever say it, but you've got to be honest with God. Not yell at him, but sometimes you may need to yell and tell how you feel in your prayer. I always think of the scriptures where, you know, you see examples where people are doing that. I mean, Jonah was like, remember he was upset and ticked off after he even repented and God got his attention. And then he was really hot and he had a bald head, I guess, and the sun was burning his head. It's kind, of, it's kind of funny in a sense, but it was, he was brutally, and the vine, the shade was coming out, and then God, it says God allowed, made a worm, allowed a worm to come and eat that vine. I mean, it literally says God allowed a worm to come and, dis, and destroy the shade. And, you know, it's not like in those times, it's like, you know, you didn't have houses going. And he got ticked off because of his attitude to go get the people, and God addressed it. You're mad. You're mad. He goes, I am mad. I'm paraphrasing, but I am mad. And God goes, what are you thinking? You're only thinking about poor you. There's 120,000 people. And then God said, even the cattle. That was interesting. But God was saying, there's a lot more instead of getting stuck on yourself. I'm not saying it's not hard, but God's going, get out of yourself. You're going to go nowhere except down. Or the fourth one is, is the great one that God says you can produce and be really and grow. Is you can accept it graciously and let it accomplish its purposes in your life. And it not be, might not be right away, but it's staying in trusting God. Self-discipline is following Jesus and going, I know God is a good God. And I don't need to know anything else, but I know I should be going, God, what am I learning? And if it's discipline, help me understand what I did wrong if I don't understand, because discipline would require repentance. Unless, like he said, it just could be hardship. So part of that is, too, like when you say Satan's coming after you, no, God's coming after you. Satan doesn't do all the hardship. The Bible says endure hardship as discipline. 
Do you understand you have to be proven and tested to see if you're going to throw a fit and turn into a man or still be a child, a man-child, and emotionally not have an integrity to fight? And you can't be proven until you're actually put in that to see who you really are. And no one's going to judge, but it's really who are you in hard time. And you don't be afraid because you may not be who you thought you were, but if you, stay in the, if you still stay faithful, it'll be a do-over and you can go, whoa, I don't want to do that. I, I, I responded. That shocked me. I got to change this. God, help me. See what I'm saying? The word therefore in verse 12 and 13. Therefore. Therefore, after what he just said, right? It's going to hurt. You're in a painful situation. I know it's there. I've allowed it, and I know it's hurting you, and I'm not, I don't mean, I'm not happy it's hurting you. But he's hanging in there because you're going to produce something you don't even understand, not only for you but for others, righteousness and peace. If you can just train, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms. So therefore is a clue that what follows is important. When the Bible says, therefore, what you're going to read next is very important from God. Therefore is a clue to what follows, and it's very important. We should think of God not only as a disciplining parent, but also as an Olympic-style coach. Why do I say it that way? Because he looks at you and believes you as a coach would look at as an Olympian. You don't have to earn anything. You're not competing, but that's how much he believes in you. There's no level. You're the best in his eyes. And you, it's not about trying to compare, but that's how God sees you and me. And you got to let God be that to you and allow yourself to understand you're going to be pushed to your limits. And that's going to require discipline or you're going to get ticked off. Because none of us really know what we can do. You know, Chamba, I love Chamba. Chamba. I love him. I just, I saw him when he came out when I was pulling up and he comes up and his shirt, you know, he said, you know, his jacket on now, but he has a shirt or sweatshirt. But I just could tell, I go, bro, you know, his brother, brother, I go, man, you're looking good. He was always lean, but he looks a little toned. He looks a little like, I go, well, you've been, you've been working out. And then, you know, he didn't brag or anything. I go, well, you, you got some effort there, man. And that takes discipline. Just if you did that, like if I told everybody to do as many push-ups as they could today, not because you have to do, but even if you did one, but I said, see if you can do that every day, wherever you're at. If you just do one, if you do it every day, I bet you'll do two. And I bet at the end of 30 days, you're going to feel better about yourself and you may do more. It's not about how many, it's not about competing. But the question really would be, I bet you can't do it. It's a two-minute exercise if you do it every day. I did this with some of the brothers when I first moved here. And I was saying, this doesn't matter, you're saved, you don't have to do it. I'm just wanting you to teach something. If you say, I'll do it, and it's going to take a little effort, and it's not that much time, you don't have to go to the gym. And I came back, and a lot of people peppered it, I forgot. Or I didn't do it, and that's fine. But we all kind of agreed, and it was an interesting exercise, because it's fine. I'm not going to judge you. It's like, you don't have to go to heaven and do push-ups, but I go, it either wasn't that important, or it's just, it's an effort. And it's for you to go, can I do something that takes self-discipline, which is an exercise to see if I can do it, i.e. losing weight. That's self-discipline. Whoa. Does that make sense, guys? So look in verse 14. Make every effort to live at peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. 
See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See to it. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as an oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. And though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he'd done. Wow. See, make every effort. I don't know how to explain that any other way than it's better than what it says. Make every effort. I think everybody clearly knows what that means. There's no room to not get it done. <laughs> if, I t if someone tells you, your boss says, make every effort to do this. Unless you had a heart attack or a car ran into your building or the, you know, something happened, he's going to go, why didn't you do it? And if you just go, oh, I'm sorry, I got distracted, I did this. I was doing this. This has to be done too. He's going to go, that's, gonna t that's not going to help. That's going to make him feel like you're prideful and divisive. I wanted you to do this, but you decided I'll do this. Make every effort, and what's he saying? To live at peace. It's for you. But it says, with everyone. And be holy. Holy, Martin and I were discussing this word. It's a really powerful word. It's deep, holiness. But one thing that gets my attention, it says, without it, you can't see God. It says, without holiness, no one can see the Lord. That means you won't be saved. You can lose the grace of God. Because if, you, if you're not being holy, you can't see God. If you can't see God, you can't have a relationship. And it says, see to it that no one falls short. What's that mean, brothers? Once again, in your relationships with one another, have the mindset of Christ. So we can see to it because the person that has an issue or is not doing well, sometimes will be the one that won't take action because they're not doing well. So we, in each other's lives, not as policemen or whatnot, we need to go, that's his problem. He sinned against me. No, you got to go, I sense an attitude or he has a problem with somebody, but they're not doing anything. We need to be the brothers to help protect each other from the entanglements and the things that can cause bitter roots and go see to it. See to it that you're a peacemonger in the church, peacemaker. Not in a, you're not self-righteous, you want that to happen with you, but if we're loving each other and we're in relationships, we're going to help each other throw off things that we don't even realize are getting in there. See that? Isn't that powerful? But if you're not committed to one another, you're saying, I can do this just with God. And, you're, and God's saying, that's not the way I planned it. I'm Jesus, the head of the church. Esau certainly failed to act on God's grace because you notice he brings in this example when, we, when he's talking about see to it that no one, in verse 15, falls short of the grace of God. Well, I didn't know you could fall short of grace. I'm not going to be one to tell you how much grace has. I'm not the judge. Either are you. But the Bible actually says you can fall short of the grace of God. That's pretty scary. I think you have to go a long way, and I'm not, I would not say to try to gamble at that. But when you're in sin, don't just take your sweet little time and think God's the grace of God, the old grandfather. No, if you know you're in sin, you should make every effort. Sometimes we take our time and people, let's get with you again, let's talk. And you're like, you wouldn't even get with someone if they didn't set it up with you. You should be frightened for your soul. You should be going, I need help. Can I get open and talk? Or some, maybe you're deceived if someone sees to it and you start talking. Now you see you're not doing well. When someone's in a pattern of sin, you know what I always tell them? God loves you. I could have done it, bro. I appreciate you being open because this is the first step. But it also should help you see that you're shallow with God right now. Which, it's not... If you're humble, you'll realize that I'm shallow if I'm allowed myself to get into attitudes or sin and stay in it. And if someone disciples me, I'm not being holy. Holiness is depth. 
Holiness is back to self-discipline, the root of a disciple, following Jesus by faith and overcoming and denying yourself, not because you have to, because you get to, so you can see to it. And if you've been in the church long enough, I realize I'm grateful for brothers that got in my life over the years at times and saw to it that I wasn't thinking or seeing what I need to do, and they actually initiated because we had a friendship, and I've given my heart, and I was grateful because no one's immune. So Esau failed to act on God's grace. Esau, what we would say in this world, was a, a good guy, a congenial, nice fella. He's a good hunter, and he, and he loved his father. We see some great aspects of this guy. He was a loyal family son. He was very dutiful. He would have made a, a nice neighbor. He would have probably been cutting his grass and taking care of his lawn and paying his bills and not throwing out, you know, not selling meth and just being real kind. I mean, working hard. But he was not interested in the things of God. That's the problem. He was not interested in the things of God. Why can I say that? Because he missed the grace of God. You got to, you know how much, you know how wrong you got to be and how out there to miss the grace of God. We can fail to depend on God's grace. Esau is a warning to us. That's why it's in the Bible. Not to live for lesser matters that relate only to this world. Not to put the things of this world more important, like his appetite. God didn't be harsh there. He's like, man, you're throwing around, like, just you're not thinking. You're throwing out some vows of blessings that I gave you, and you're just trading it for some food because you're hungry. You're not even, your heart's not even set. And I don't know, but God did it. It says it couldn't be reversed. And you can see, if you look at him as a human being, he had great characteristics as a quality, but, he, but, but I'm just telling you, he missed the grace of God because he wasn't having his mind set in the things of God. Because he, 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 he actually, uh, on a foolish emotional whim, for a single meal sold his inheritance rights. Feelings and emotions that weren't in check. Are you going to put yours in check? Because you can't do it on your own. You need to deny yourself and do what's right till you go into the hole and into the box and die faithful. That's why we celebrate birthdays spiritually. We, we praise each other. We're not bragging like, look at me, but we know it's a mark. It's a warrior mark. When I see older Christians, I go, thank God. Because you know what? I don't know their life, everything, but I know they're a representative. of. I'm surrounded by a witness that says it's worth it and keep running the race. It's worth it. So back as we come in for landing here, obedient to death. Well, you might think, well, that's a big challenge. Well, Matthew suffered martyrdom in Ethiopia and was killed by a sword wound, it says historically. Matthew, the apostle. Mark died in Alexandria, Egypt, after being dragged by horses through the streets until he was dead. Luke was hanged in Greece as a result of his tremendous preaching to the lost. John faced martyrdom when he was boiled in a huge basin of boiling oil during a wave of persecution in Rome. However, he was miraculously delivered from death, and then, you know, as we know, he was sentenced to the mines on the prison island of Patmos, and he wrote the prophetic book of Revelation. John was later freed and returned to serve as bishop, it says, in modern Turkey, spiritually. But he died, as a, he died as an old man, but he was the only apostle to actually die peacefully. 
Peter was crucified upside down. Legend says on an X-shaped type cross where they tied him like, you know, so he's upside down. According to the church tradition, you've probably heard that one. He was, it was because he, he told his tormentors that he felt unworthy to die in the same way that Jesus died on the cross. That's obedient to death. James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, Acts 15, I believe, you can read that and you see him making decisions and you, see, you can even see the pattern of leadership in the church. There's a main leader, there's leadership. Was thrown over a hundred feet down from the southeast pinnacle of the temple when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. When they discovered that he survived the fall, his enemies beat James to death with a, what they call, it says, a fuller's club. This is the same pinnacle where Satan had taken Jesus during the temptation, it says. Temple, the temple, high courts. James, the son of Zebedee, was a fisherman by trade when Jesus called him to a lifetime of the ministry. As a strong leader of the church, James was beheaded at Jerusalem. The Roman officer who guarded James watched amazed as James defended his faith at his trial. Later, the officer walked beside James to the place of execution. Overcome by conviction, he declared his new faith to the judge. So these are what I've looked up, but I do know, and you have heard, every disciple, every apostle except John died. And there is historical accounts. But you would know they would because they followed Jesus to death. And even when they saw him die, they, they, they started the church. Bartholomew, it says, also was Nathaniel was a missionary in Asia. He, he witnessed... Uh, for our Lord in the present-day Turkey, they say. And he was martyred for his preaching in Armenia, where he was filleted to death by a whip. Whipped to death. Andrew, it says, was crucified on an X-shaped cross in Patras, Greece. After being whipped severely by seven soldiers, they tied his body to the cross with cords to prolong his agony. And his followers reported that when he was led toward the cross, Andrew saluted it in these words i have a long desire and expected this happy hour to the cross has been consecrated by the blood by the body of christ hanging on it now you know also philip was stoned and he even being killed he said look i see this i see the son of man standing at the right hand of the father that was the god didn't give morning hand what stephen. stephen excuse me stephen and he was being killed by rocks, and he said, forgive them, Father, like what Jesus said. So then he died being stoned. Thomas was stabbed with a spear in India. Jude was killed with arrows when he refused to deny his faith. Matthias, the apostle chosen to replace the traitor Judas, was stoned and then beheaded. Paul was tortured and, and then beheaded by the evil emperor Nero at Rome about 67 A.D., Paul endured a lengthy imprisonment which allowed him to write his many epistles to churches he had formed throughout Roman Empire. These letters, which taught many the foundations and the doctrines of Christ in the Bible, and imagine that, even teaching on joy locked up. You really got to go to God for that. So guys, what is I, what's, the, what's the conclusion of this? Self-discipline and God's blessings. To die... It's better to die in Christ than to, than to live. 
you got to really get that. And that doesn't mean to minimize your life. If you're married, cherish that that wife is with you because you realize there's nothing more special than being married in the kingdom. If you're single, be grateful to be single and not go, when I get married, I'll be happy. You need to be happy now. Doesn't mean you don't need to pray for a future wife. That's a great desire. But don't think when this happens, it'll be better. You need to be content where you're at with God. Self-discipline is the blessing. It's not receiving. Self-discipline is the blessing. Walking in holiness and walking in obedience is the blessing. It's not results. If you're striving and willing to be obedient in Christ, God's shining on you. That's the joy. But then he will give you way more because he's a God that just loves us so much. He gives us way more than we need. He gives us more than we can imagine or ask for because he's a generous God. And to God be the glory. Amen.